I never stop. I never stop. Okay, so you just have to you just, just hang up when you have no. Okay. No, all this stuff is so good. Oh God. Award-winning photojournalist Melvin Greer grew up just blocks from Crew Tower, where a tangle of roads are now. You are one of many people that have talked to me about the West End. Uh, I get angry every time I think about it, and to tell you the truth, it just pisses me off. It really does. Hear his story in our seventh installment of the West End Stories Project. I'm Key, manager of the Cincinnati-Hamilton County Public Library's West End Branch. Thanks for listening. Melvin Greer was born in 1941 at General Hospital. His parents had migrated to Cincinnati from Locust Grove, Georgia, which is about 30 miles south of Atlanta. Mount mother worked as a domestic and my dad he worked I know part of his time he spent at the Wright plant during the war doing whatever they were doing there during the World War II and then the rest of his working life he worked at a foundry GH&R foundry in Dayton so he rode with two or three other guys back and forth to Dayton every day, and he worked the second shift, which meant that, you know, when I got home from school, he would not be there. I didn't know my mother because she died two years after I was born, so I really didn't know her at all. There was a nice lady that lived across the hall from us woman named Lisa Brown who looked out for me up to a certain age but then after that you know I'd get home and if my dad had cooked something he would leave it on the stove top or else he would leave me a pile of change on the kitchen table and I would go to one of the local restaurants and get something to eat my dad was different in that you know, uh, never went to the movies, never went to anything like that. The only thing that we did together was go to ball games at Crosby Field. And he wasn't the most affectionate of people. I mean, he wasn't a hugger. But, you know, every now and then he would say something like, you know, you know, your dad loves you, don't you? And I said, yeah, dad, you know. My wife says she thinks that my father was forever grieving about the loss of my mother. And to my great regret, I never pressed my father on talking about my mother. And it was really strange because there was nothing of my mother left in the apartment. And I could see from the photographs that I have here of her, she was a sharp dresser. You know, you could tell that she valued how she looked, but all of that was gone. There was nothing of her there, except possibly the furniture that 
he might have picked out. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just mess up, and that was one of those times I messed up. It was just different because I would see other kids with both parents, and they had this custom that they did on Mother's Day at Holy Trinity. You would wear a red, let me see if I get this right, you would wear like a red carnation in your lapel or the girls on their dresses if your mother was alive. And you would wear a white one if your mother was dead. Now, of course, in this day and age, we would say that's very politically incorrect and insensitive and all of that stuff. But in those days, it wasn't. But what was annoying was some kids would come up to me and say, you're both a dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's obvious. Yes, yes he's dead. <laughs> but, and it was the same kids every year. It's like, you numbskull, yes. So that was something else that, you know, you had to go through. Although he didn't get to know his mother, he did spend time with some of her relatives. When I got to be of a certain age in grade school, my father would send me, put me on a train to Georgia. And I'd spend the summers with my Aunt Jack, my Aunt Zelma, and my cousin Wyman. And I would go one week over to stay with my grandmother my mother's mother, who was still alive, Isabel Watkins, known as Ma Bell. And I really didn't like going over there, to tell you the truth, because um, they lived a little bit different than my Aunt Zell and my Uncle Jack. But they were great people, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was my mother's mother and father, uh Thomas Watkins, who was this formidable man. I mean, he was a big, tall, black, really very dark skin, and he didn't tolerate any nonsense. I mean, you know, you knew he was head of the family. There was no doubt about that. This was the man that ran the show. His word was, you know, it's like neither one of the reasons why I didn't want to go over there mm. because he, he was, whereas my Uncle Jack was more laid back and my other uncles, they were more laid back. But my dad was very calm, laid back kind of guy, you know. Mr. Greer lived on West 5th Street where Interstate 75 and the industrial district known as Queensgate exist today. The only thing that remains from my childhood in that particular part of town is Duke Energy has a parking facility. And if you could get back there, as I have done on occasion, Mm -hmm. there is a large um retaining stone retaining wall that supported uh Jackson School, which was a public school next door to where we lived. I did not go to Jackson School. I went 
one building up to Holy Trinity School, which was a obviously a Catholic school. And legend has it that my mother's almost her dying word was, "Don't send that boy to Jackson School." <laughs> <laughs> I I can't verify that. Uh, it's just something that I was told as a kid. And, you know, Jackson School was perfectly good school as far as I know. It's just that she wanted me to go to the Catholic school, which I did up until the seventh grade. And then that's when the um, destruction, the displacement, the eradication, whatever you want to call it, uh, started to take place. Uh, first, we lost the church. Our church was torn down, and it was one of these big old, real big old churches that had been founded by Germans. Well, they tore the school, the church down, so then we had an arrangement that we could use in the school building for mass. And then eventually they shut the the school down, and we all, the ones that chose to, we went down into the West End on Flint Street to St. Henry, which, of course, has been torn down. Then we went to St. Anthony, which has been torn down. And the bottom line is there is nothing of my childhood in my part of the West End that I can go to with the exception of that big retaining wall. And to tell you the truth, it just pisses me off. It really does. It, it was such an interesting place for a young kid to live in. And as a young kid, I thought it would last forever. This would always be the West End not necessarily because I wanted to stay in the West End, particularly where we lived, because I saw the other side. I saw how life could be. When he was a teenager, he got an opportunity to leave the West End, and that exposed him to different realities. I went to Holy Trinity School, then I went to St. Henry School, and then the nun convinced me that I was a candidate for the priesthood, so I went to Sacred Heart Seminary out in way, way the devil out from where we lived. And I went there for three years, up to and through my junior year. And then uh, because I was somewhat of a troublemaker, uh, they very politely told me that it wasn't my vocation, which was their way of saying, don't come back. Oh. <laughs> it was great. It was absolutely great. The thing is, is when you're a kid and you don't know any better, then this is your life. But what happened was when I went to the seminary, we got a break at Christmas time, and I got a ride home with some of my fellow students, but first we went to where they lived. And when I walked in and they had carpets and drapes and it was, I mean, it was a house. 
it was so different that when they brought me to where I live, I was ashamed and there was no way in hell I was going in and back them up to see where I live because, you know, we had rats and roaches and not because the people weren't clean, it's just that because the building was so darn old and so infested and uh, it was dark, it was, uh, looking back, it was miserable, but, you know, it made me the person that I am now. There was a family that lived in our building, the Jacksons, and they moved to the Lincoln Courts. And when we went over to see them, we were astounded because there was grass there. Uh, they had a second floor in their building. They had hot and cold running water. It was a totally different, as far as we were concerned, they were out in the suburbs somewhere compared to where we lived. Uh, my wife, Brenda, she grew up in the Laurel homes. I kid her and say, you, you didn't live in the real West End like I did because you came up in the Laurel homes and you, you had central heating. We had a gas stove. You know, you had hot and cold water in a bathtub. I took my first shower when I went to the seminary. That was a new experience for me. The building Mr. Greer grew up in was called the Tremont Flats, which was located at 651 West 5th Street. It was a four-story building. At, we were told at one time it was a hotel. And the way it was laid out, it could have been because we lived on the second floor and we had three rooms, and there was a door between the rooms, like you would see in a hotel. And it was a cold water flat, which, of course, meant that we didn't have uh, hot water. We had to boil water if we wanted hot water. And um, But we had the advantage of having a toilet actually in our apartment, the people on the other end of the hall, which would have been the the north side of the building, they had to share a toilet. So it was a little rough, little rough learn, uh, living conditions. We had a gas stove in the middle room. We didn't call it the bedroom. It was the middle room. And when I came in, I would have to light the gas stove up. And when it finally warmed up, then I could take my coat off. But we had a window that was broken out in our toilet, and we would have to put a coat on when we went in there in the wintertime. Just <laughs> was great. And on Saturday night, you'd get the tin tub and put a kettle on the stove and boil a kettle of water and pour that in the tub and then uh, you would put some cold water in, you know, to cool it down some and then take a bath with Life Boy soap. I still see and smell that Life Boy soap. I keep thinking I'm going to get some just for old times' sake. <laughs> And as a little kid, I imagine it was fine, but when I got bigger, 
I couldn't sit in the tub, so I you just sort of stand there and sit on the edge of the tub, and that, that would be in our kitchen. And then we had a front room, we called it, which was a marvel because it had a couple of chairs and it had a couch that had this, these metal pipes for the back, but it was broke. So if you lean back, it came apart, you know. It never occurred to my dad. To, you know, my dad was a little tight with money. Let me just put it that way. Because when I would ask him for, you know, 2 or $3, he would say, now, you know, your dad only makes a little money. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We only had one bed. And I slept in the same bed with my dad until we moved from Fifth Street, if you can believe that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ray Charles has this, this song, Hard Times, Who Knows Better Than I. <laughs> I want to tell you, oh, something else, something else. Like I said, you know, Mrs. Brown across the hall, she was like a surrogate mother for me. And uh, and she was a a great lady who cooked, would feed me, and and then there was another lady named Mrs. Smith who was a housekeeper for uh, the priest, and I would go up there, and sometimes she would give me the leftovers. You know, all said is that, are you crying yet? <laughs> Although Mr. Greer was raised an only child, he may have had a sibling. I was an only child as far as my father, to a certain extent, was concerned. But there was a rumor that there was a love child, so to speak, and named Shirley. And it depended on who you talked to. Some people would say, nah, that ain't Bo. My father's nickname was Bo, Leslie Bo Greer. And people called him Bo. I called him Daddy. Um, that, ain't Bo's, that ain't Bo's daughter. But I knew her. Um, I knew her mother. Um, I haven't seen her for God knows how long. So, it, 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 you know. It's just one of those things. Um, My father was a good-looking man. He was a good-looking man. And one of my um, darkest memories is coming home from the movies on Saturday and coming into our apartment and... um, it was always dark in our apartment because my father had to sleep during the daytime. So I always had to turn the light on and uh, turn the light on in the kitchen and then went into the middle room, which was, as I said, that was the bedroom, turned the light on, and there was blood everywhere. My father's girlfriend at the times had stabbed him. 
Well, of course, I'm a kid. It freaks me out. So I run across the hall and get Mrs. Brown. And she knew about it. She said, oh, baby, your daddy's going to be all right. We're going to go to the hospital. So, I don't know, we, we went to General Hospital and sat around a while. Eventually, uh, my dad comes out and, you know, is you yourself because he smoked Chesterfields. And he would always say, you know, he didn't inhale. He was sort of like Bill Clinton. He didn't inhale, you know. <laughs> but he would manage to <laughs> always have a cigarette lit. And um, I stayed over with Mrs. Brown that night, and I, whoever, I guess he cleaned up the apartment because uh, Mrs. Brown had a rollaway bed that I could sleep in. And, um, you know, it was just one of those things, one of those things that part of my life. Thank you for joining us for this installment of the West End Stories Project. Stay tuned for part two of Mr. Greer's episode, where he discusses DePores High School and various West End attractions. The West End Stories Project is brought to you by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library and is co-produced by your host, Key, and our grants librarian, Kent Mulcahy. If you like what you've heard, listen and subscribe to the West End Stories Project wherever you get your favorite podcasts and help us get discovered by leaving a review. Thank you. Now, do you have a um, email? Yes, I have an email. Well, that's kind of question. What are you? I'm I'm old, but I got. I'm sorry. And, and <laughs> I got laptops, and I got iPads, and I got iPhones.